invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians this evening, there towards the back. These are the earliest of Paul's epistles written to the church in Thessalonica. As he was writing to them, instructing on how they ought to live, confirming their faith and how they received the word of God as it ought to be received. Not the words of men, but God himself. I would invite you to listen as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, this, another benediction this evening and the next week we'll go back to the series in the book of Revelation and in the evenings begin working through the book of Joshua. But for now, as we hear these great blessings of God, another, it is a prayer, a prayer on behalf of the church by Paul given to him by the Spirit. Listen as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, would you grant to us not only ears to hear, but faith that hears your word, desiring to grow in righteousness. May we put our hope and trust the one who gave his life for us, and find in Christ the means by which we abound in love and faith and holiness. Even until the day of your appearing, may we grow, being built and nurtured upon the rock, the rock who is Christ our Lord. We pray all this then in his name. Amen. There are times in the ministry and the writings of Paul where his, it would seem, emotions get the better of him. Of course, we know better than that. These benedictions that Paul writes are often spurred on, as we saw this morning, by an extraordinary doctrinal truth of the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, a love that was first shown to us prior to even to the creation of the world. And so, this love is secure because it has been laid down by the very decrees of God. The Father gave to the Son a bride. And all who confess Christ belong to that number, the church. Now this evening, another benediction, but this, in response to Paul's own love for the church, And not just his own love for the church, but as one who has seen and experienced and knows the love of God, not just existentially, personally, but he knows of what the love of God is tied to the holiness and righteousness and unchangeable purposes of God. He asks that God might bless the Thessalonican church, the Thessalonians, with an ever perpetual increase of the knowledge and understanding of the love of God that results in love for one another, in holiness, and in the longing, the growing in the longing to see our God at his coming. Three points that I want to make this evening related to this benediction, which is just a fancy name or word for blessing. 
first point, the blessing of divine love, the blessing of blamelessness, and the blessing of expectation. The blessing of divine love, the blessing of blamelessness, and the blessing of expectation. Let's look at that first blessing. It is first a blessing or benediction of divine love of which we read. Now may our God and Father himself, the first person of the Godhead, and our Lord Jesus Christ, the second, direct our way to you. Paul longs to see the Thessalonian Christians, those members of the church among whom he labored, the church that he planted. He desires to see them. Now, in the past... As a new minister, I looked forward to going to other churches and filling pulpits. In part because as a licentiate, that was the only preaching opportunities I got. I went where I could get a spot. The longer I'm in ministry and the longer that I'm here at Reformation, the less I like leaving. And it has less to do with comfort, though I'm sure that's part of it, and more to do with the fact that I love you guys. I mean it, and I may say it. That way, I say it that way because I don't want to get all gushy. (laughs) But I love you guys. And I feel like, as you know, uh, parents, you get this. As your children get older, you establish rapport and affection and a sort of bedrock, a foundation of you know them and they know you. And you know how to talk to them and they know how to talk to you. I don't want to go anywhere else. I love the other churches. I love my fellow presbyters and the saints who are in those churches. But you guys, you guys are different. We are a church together. And so I know something of Paul's love. A love among whom he labored. And so he longs to see them. He abounds in love for them. And in the same way, He desires that they would abound in love for God and for one another. And this love of which Paul speaks is not some indiscriminate, undefined love, but it is a holy love. It is divinely wrought love. It is the kind of love that only God can work in our hearts. And so it is a peculiar kind of love for a peculiar kind of people. And it grows. Now when I say the love of God grows, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, we are not saying that God's love changes and grows. For he cannot love us more, and he will not love us less. What Paul is asking for, what he is pleading that God would bless the Thessalonians with, church, he is asking that God might grant to them an increase, an increase in love for God and for one another, an abounding. When I think abound, every morning when we wake up, someone must unleash the dogs. We have two dogs, a big dog and a small dog. And every morning, 
Dorn, if he's getting up early enough, he lets the dogs out. And if he doesn't, we send someone downstairs. Because you can hear our Doberman Bodie just whining, let me out. Let me out. We open the door to her kennel, and then Charlie comes behind her, always behind her. And she just goes out the back door into the backfield, and she just goes bananas. That is what I think when I hear the word abound. It is an unleashed energy. This love of God is meant to increase and abound in us. And when I say abound, you reformed confessional Presbyterians, I mean emotion. I don't mean just an increase of doctrinal understanding and it makes us feel all good. I mean deep, substantial, real emotion. So that when you encounter the truth, you're not just, or a statement, thinking, is this true or not? But when you encounter the truth, you are reveling in it. You're excited by it. It's that very emotion that drives you, as we've been saying in Sunday school, to be a faithful apologist. Out of a love and affection and increase and abounding love for God, we then, in turn, grow in our love for one another. What that means is that the saint who is living rightly will be a better lover of God and men as he grows in grace. You learn it. And not just increase in affection, but also in skill and maturity in terms of how you show it. And the great litmus test of our love for God whom we do not see is our love for one another that we can. The degree to which we love one another is tied to our love for God. This is what God says in the scriptures. Um, How will you know the forgiveness of God if you do not forgive one another? Our forgiveness of one another as an act of mercy and love is in response to the forgiveness and mercy that God has shown to us. And so the blessing of divine love is a benedicting blessing that gives us more love for him and more love for one another, and it is ever increasing. It is perpetually increasing, and not only in this life, but in the life of the world that is to come. We sing in that hymn, Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. One of the great qualities of the sinless estate that we are headed for and the resurrected bodies that are coming is an ever-increasing and a perpetual abounding in our love for God and for one another. Simply remove the governor of sin, and can you imagine that kind of love? Marital love touches on that a little bit. Our great friendships touch on that to some degree. But there will come a day, a day of which Paul speaks at the end of this benediction, when God will return and we shall see him, and he shall remove the curse in full. 
I don't know if we'll recognize in some fashion. Even the kind of love that we show to one another. Our motivations will be wholly pure. And all will have reached its full flowering. Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand the kind of love that he has from God, that he has for them, and that that same love might increase. Saints of Reformation, our prayer should be at all times, every day, Lord, help me to love you more. Does that sound trite? It should not. Really love and help me to love the saints. And when you pray, Lord, help me to love the saints, what will invariably happen is you will come to church and one of those fellow saints will make it hard for you to love them. And you will make it hard for them to love you. And that is why this love must not be from us. It must first be from God. It is a holy love. It is a divinely wrought love. And apart from him, it is impossible. Because love, dear saints, and the proper showing and feeling of it is attached also to blamelessness or holiness. And that leads me to my second point, the blessing of blamelessness. Divine love not only increases, it's not only to be shown to God and received from God, to be shown to others and received from others, but it is to be holy. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do, so that he may establish your hearts in blamelessness, in holiness before our God and Father. It takes practice. It takes pleading. It is ever-increasing. And it is not only increasing in its perpetual nature, but it is increasing in its holiness. Now, as it relates to holiness, we must ask ourselves, what is holiness? Not according to the standards of men, but of God. It is love according to the law. That is what Deuteronomy is about. How do we live in community with one another? Well, we must keep the law. Well, how do we keep the law? Well, it isn't just to say, all right, we know that God's law, these ten things, call us to honor God as God and no other God. And they follow from there. But there are occasions where our lives bump into one another. We offend, something bad happens, and we must therefore organize loving our neighbor by the law of God. You do not get to invent the way in which you love your neighbor. You must receive it from God. We receive it. Therefore, it is holy. It is pure. It is innocent. It is clean. It always desires the good and seeks to labor for the good of one's own neighbor. In fact, this is the great heart of the law of God. It is not just to live in peace, but that peace is impossible unless you and I are living for the benefit and the blessing of one another. And when I say neighbor, I mean not only the saints who are gathered in this room, but your physical neighbors. What do you do about the tree that's hanging over their roof? What do you do? What do you do about building your fence? 
How do you love well? Well, you love in light of the law of God. It must be established in blamelessness. And it first comes to us from God. And is a kind of mystical work in which the Holy Spirit nurtures in us that which we cannot do of ourselves, but he does so according to this standard. And so what must we do to love well? We must know the standard. We must open God's word. And in doing that, we are blessed. Because God has promised that by his spirit, he would work in us to will and do what is good and pleasing to him through the word. And so this divine love and affection is a saving, effectual, life-giving, transforming love. As we said, as I said this morning, we become what we behold. And the more and more you behold the face of God, the more and more you become like him the more that you stare lovingly into the perfect law of God, you are transformed by his word. And so it is more than an expression of affection, but it is the promise of transformation. It is power communicated through the very voice of God. And so this blessing of blamelessness comes only from the Lord. It promotes and instills holiness. And the only way that you and I can ever experience true unity, oneness of body and mind, is not only that we are creedally, a creeds and confessions, united, but that we are each walking in such a manner that we are growing and being nurtured in the spiritual affections. It will never happen apart from God working in us. What that means is this. Each of us must do our part in order for us to live well as a body. Your sin has a corporate effect in the same way that your righteousness has a corporate effect. When you walk waywardly, when you rebel out from underneath the law of God, it brings division. But when you obey, when you keep the perfect law of God, it brings wholeness. And so if we pray, O Lord, as Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, make them one even as we are one, this is something that we must grow in, we must increase in. And this is one of those things I don't think I realized as I was walking into and taking um, the reins of a pulpit ministry and a mission work. Not only must pastors grow in their ministry, but so do churches. There are baby pastors And there are baby churches. And each of us must walk and grow in grace. One of the great gifts to any church then is when you have people that come through the doors who are in need, desperate need of spiritual maturity. It gives everyone in the church an opportunity to help them grow. This is why you want little children running up and down with some (laughs) self-control. Have you ever run into a pew? Doesn't feel good. But you know what I mean. The pitter-patter of little feet. All right, every parent says, it's so much easier to be a grandparent. We'll figure that out soon enough. Why? Because then you can say, we're so glad you came. Here's your kid. Have fun. But within a covenant community, and even within a covenant family, this isn't really how we ought to think, is it? 
We ought to embrace those who are wet behind the ears, who are still wearing diapers. And I don't mean diapers, diapers. I do mean diaper, diapers. But I also mean, well, spiritual, pietistic training wheels. Those who are baby Christians. And even those who don't know a creed from crud or a confession from whatever else rhymes with confession. (laughs) Right? We are growing together. This is why when you walk into mission works, in every denomination you walk in and go, well, they really haven't figured it out yet. No, they haven't. And I mean, who plugs in the coffee machine? Who unlocks the doors? All of these things we figure out as we grow in grace. It is part of, and I know some of those things are silly, but they're really not silly. Because if the coffee machine doesn't get plugged in, that's kind of a big deal. If the bulletins don't get printed, it's a big deal. We grow. And Paul was part of that. And that's why he wants to go back. Because he actually wants to see how the Thessalonian church was doing. And you may hear reports at Presbytery. But boy, there's nothing like being there from the beginning. And getting to watch God steward the saints to grow in grace and unite them with one heart and one mind and see them grow in holiness. Not just theological prowess and knowledge, but a love for one another. This is why Fellowship Sundays and the Lord's Table are two of the great weapons, two of the great promotions of the glory and the beauty of the church in a world that is divided because they do not know the love of God. And not only that, but lastly, this blessing that Paul speaks over the church in Thessalonica is that they might not only love but grow in holiness in order that they may actually hope for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Children, your parents leave your room having given you a task to clean. Or maybe they leave home for a while hoping that the wheels don't fall off and that no one is dead when they walk in the front door. And you hear with the feet coming. If it takes you three or four seconds to get ready for them to walk in the door, you're doing it wrong. What I mean by that is this. If you're supposed to lie in bed at night, it's time to go to bed. I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. And your parents are in the room adjacent and they hear, when you should be in the bed, and then you hear, get in the bed. Are you looking forward to your dad opening the door? No, you're too busy what? Scrambling hope he doesn't catch me out. That is not what Paul wants for the... I'm sorry to the people who are listening to the audio recording. (laughs) If you're in the car, please don't wreck. We want to hope for it. The way we hope for it is that we are in a place in our lives where if Christ were to return, we're okay with that. 
And not only are we okay with it, but we want it to happen. It's the next thing that we look forward to most, more than Christmas, more than our birthdays, more than the days of our wedding. That's the day. And what is necessary to be prepared is love that grows into holiness. Pursue peace, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. We are living for that day. It's okay to think that way. Not out of fear. For fear is not to be the primary motivator in the heart of the saint. It is what? Holy love. Paul wants the Thessalonican church. For the saints, young and old, mature and immature, from every background and every walk of life, wherever they came from, to be assured of where they are going. Do you long for that day? I was with my parents on Thursday, and I was talking to my mom about this very subject. One of the things that's harder as you get older is that somehow, at the same time, your parents are getting older, and every time you go home, they're just a little bit older than they were the last time you see them, and so are you. I remember hearing someone say, don't think about how many years your parents have left. Think about how many trips you have, how many more times you'll see them. So I began to do the math. Parents are in and around 70. <laughs> I want to be delicate. 10, 15, 20 years if they're fortunate. Let's say two to maybe at most three times a year. That's 20 to 30 more times, maybe 40. I saw them every day growing up. And I couldn't wait to leave the house. And now I just want to go home and see him and talk to him. Our lives are very short. And as we talked about the brevity of life, I kept thinking, am I ready? Are my affairs under control? Is my heart ready? Dear saints, the way in which we are prepared for the day of Christ's coming is to walk in holiness and love with God and with one another so that when we think of the return of Christ, we can go, I hope it's tomorrow. Not fatalistically, not morbidly, but with joy. Because what awaits the saints in glory is a life that of which we cannot imagine And the reason why we can't imagine it is because it is so glorious our minds cannot comprehend it. But it is love and holiness that makes us ready. And so part of every day, dear saints, should be devoted to packing for that day. You know what I mean? Preparing for that trip. Not like you would pack for a vacation where you fill a suitcase with all these things. But asking yourself, what is really necessary? Well, it is to love one another. 
It is to seek the holiness of God, to receive the blessings from him, to live for those blessings and not the blessings of this world. To be transformed by his own love. A love that grows us up as individuals, that grows us into a whole body. A love that prepares us more and more for the day of beholding him face to face. And so, saints of God, I pray the same for you. I pray it for myself. I pray it for my wife and my children, all of you. And I ask that God might grant to you an increase, an abounding, Bodhi running through the backfield in joy kind of love. Bodhi's my dog. <laughs> Wild, increasing. Just so excited that we are counted among the saints. And that yet you might use that energy that is corralled. Tune my heart, Lord. Keep it. And then use me for the building and growth of your kingdom. So that when the day comes and Christ brings us to himself, either in our death or in the day of his second coming, We can look at him and say, I'm ready. I'm ready.